Amen. Well, good morning. I'm excited to begin a new series together this morning called The Last Words from the Cross. You know, we're just a few days into the beginning of a season that we call Lent, uh, and that officially began on Wednesday with Ash Wednesday. Lent is uh, a time to reflect. It's a time to prepare and ready ourselves for the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus on Easter And over the years during this season, we've walked together through the last week of Jesus' life, uh, pausing and observing the things that Jesus says and and the things that he does. Uh, And I think for us, Good Friday is often a quick stop on that journey uh, of that last week of Jesus' life. It's maybe an extra service that we attend right before Easter Sunday. But this year, together as a church family, we really wanted to pause on Good Friday to take the next few weeks to just sit in the reality of the cross and Good Friday as we prepare for Easter. And I will admit that that is a hard thing to do, right? I don't know that we do it intentionally, but it is so easy to just kind of skip over some of the details of Christ's death. We want to fast forward to the resurrection, to Easter I'm sure many of you have seen uh, the Jesus film or The Passion of the Christ. Uh, I remember when The Passion of the Christ came out, uh, I went with some friends to go see it in the theater. And we ended up like riding all together and we watched it. And I think we had plans to do something else afterwards. Uh, But we walked out of the theater, right, and just in silence. We drove home in silence. And I remember that awkward feeling of wishing I had just driven by myself instead of sitting in the car with these friends, just reflecting on what we had just seen. You know, that's not a film we want to rewatch, right? Uh, though I've forced myself to do it. I mean, the suffering of the cross is hard to look at, it's uncomfortable to consider all of what Christ endured in those final moments, it's painful to acknowledge our role in that story. But to truly experience the joy of Easter, we must walk together through the sorrow of the cross. In the midst of that sorrow, there's a reason that we call it Good Friday. You see, something was finished on the cross that marked a new beginning for you and me. So over the next seven weeks of Lent, as we look forward towards the resurrection, Uh, on Easter, we're going to meditate and consider these last words that Jesus spoke from the cross. There are seven things that Jesus said in the final moments of his life from the cross. These words embody the truth of Good Friday. These words help us discover our true beginning. And the words that Jesus speaks are profound. They're not just profound because of the truth that they carry, but because of the way in which they were spoken. I mean, these last words of Jesus were literal, guttural cries, last gasps, final breaths as he hung from the cross. Every single one of these words was costly and painful. And I think because of that, it's important to not read them just in an academic sort of way where we jump straight to what theology is buried inside and and what application that might have for us, we also must allow ourselves to just experience them, to sense their weight, to wrestle with what they mean for us. 
Richard John Newhouse says it well. He says, Good Friday brings us to our senses. Our senses come to us as we sense that in this life and in this death is our life and our death. The truth about the crucified Lord is the truth about ourselves. And so as we linger together with Christ on the cross these last or these next few weeks, as we listen to his final words, would you allow it to awaken your senses? Would you resist the temptation to merely be an observer? May God give us eyes to see and grace to receive our part in the story as we discover what his end meant for our beginning. So this year we're going to begin our Lenten journey at the cross. There's so much that has transpired in Jesus' life to bring us to this point. Um, There's so much in the gospel narratives about this week, but about his whole life. And so as we focus our attention on Sunday mornings, on Good Friday specifically, uh, I would just invite you over the next 40 days or so to read through the events of Holy Week in Luke. You can do that beginning in chapter 19. You could do it in, in another gospel narrative as well. But this morning, as you turn to Luke chapter 23, the long journey carrying the cross to Calvary has ended. And in verse 32, we read, Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. You know, the first readers of Luke would have needed no explanation of what crucifixion meant. But I think for us, we often don't appreciate what was experienced by Jesus or what death by crucifixion would have been like. And we don't have time to walk through all of the details of, of what crucifixion would entail, but I, but I do think for the purpose of these last words, it's helpful to understand what it would have been like for Jesus to speak these last words from the cross. You know, often death would come by crucifixion from suffocation. You can imagine Christ nailed to the cross with nails through his wrists and his feet hanging there, the full weight of his body. And to get a good breath, just one breath, he would have had to push against his feet and flex his elbows pulling from the shoulders and putting the weight of his body on his feet would have produced searing pain. The flexing of his elbows would have twisted his hands hanging on the nails. And lifting his body for just a breath would have scraped his wounded back against the rough wooden post. Every effort to take a breath was agonizing. It was exhausting. And ultimately, it would lead to a sooner death. These final words that Jesus spoke, they took incredible effort. They were meditated upon. They were intentional. They weren't just filler words. They were deep truths that mean something for us. And in verse 34, we read the first words that Jesus spoke from the cross. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
and they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him that read, This is the king of the Jews. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, I don't know about you, but when I have been in situations of excruciating pain, loneliness, abandonment, experiencing trial in my life, my prayers have always been centered around myself, my circumstance. They've been prayers of desperation, pleading for God to end it or at least to comfort and to be near me. And I don't think I have ever in those moments so overwhelmed by my pain and need directed my thoughts and prayers towards others, especially if those others were complicit in the pain I was experiencing. And these words are remarkable. He made his pain worse on the cross to cry out to his father for your forgiveness, for my forgiveness. In these last moments of his life, Jesus is acting as our advocate. And the power of his words is that they were not bound by space and by time. Yes, he was asking for forgiveness for the soldiers at his feet who had just driven nails into his body. He was also asking for forgiveness for those who had mocked him in his suffering. He was also asking for forgiveness for you and for me. And the words that followed, for they know not what they do, I think especially resonate with me. It is such a relevant theme through this final week of Jesus' life. I mean, it seemed that no one truly understood what Jesus was walking towards in these final days or why or how they fit into the larger story. But here's the thing about forgiveness. We can't actually receive it until we understand why we need it. The deeper that understanding, the more powerfully we experience it, right? I mean, here's kind of a, a silly example, but my, my wife, Janae, recently got some new dishes that she was pretty excited about. Uh, she had been talking for a while about replacing some of the dishes that we got when we got married. And uh, so we did that over Christmas. And a few weeks ago, my daughter, Brooklyn, who is two, decided she would help clean up. So she took one of the new bowls that Janae had been eating from and went over to the sink and literally threw it in. And you can guess what happened next, right? Um, now, Janae was upset, but she understands that Brooklyn at two, like, has no idea that that action might break a bowl. And so Janae forgave Brooklyn. And that forgiveness, it means something to Janae, right? But Brooklyn literally cannot receive it because she doesn't understand why she would ever need it. For us to understand the power of these words that Jesus speaks, forgive them, Father, we must understand our need for those words. We must know what we did. We must see ourselves reflected in the characters that surrounded Jesus in these final days. And the more we understand how we do the same sorts of things today, the more joyfully we can receive his forgiveness. And so for the rest of our time together this morning, I just want to walk through this final week, 
I want to set the stage for the words that Christ just spoke from the cross and to help see ourselves in the text. And so we're going to pause briefly on each day, starting on Sunday, leading up to Friday. And I want to do two things. I want to give you kind of a synopsis of what was happening that day and some context. I want to take a stab at maybe how it might connect for us. And then if it feels genuine to you, if it feels authentic, if there's something in those words that resonate with you, there's a chance for you to respond at the end of each day. And I'll kind of lead out on that. But Holy Week, this, this last week of Jesus' life, it began uh, with Palm Sunday. And it's when Jesus arrives in Jerusalem on a donkey And there are huge crowds of discontented people. They're frustrated and they're angry with the Romans that were ruling over them. And when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, they they believed this arrival meant a new king for Israel. So they waved palm branches in the air and they shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. You see, they believed that Jesus came to conquer, that he would overthrow the Roman occupation. They cheered him because they believed that he would serve their agenda. But days later, when they realized that Jesus had an altogether different plan, those same crowds would gather again to shout, crucify him. And they would mock him as he was beaten and shamed. And you and I, we do the same. We treat Jesus as a means to our end. When he fits our plans and our purposes, we welcome him. And when he doesn't, we reject him and turn away. And just like the crowds that gathered on Palm Sunday, we too place our hope in earthly power instead of trusting in the humility of our suffering Savior. Forgive us, Lord, for we know not what we do. The next day on Monday morning, Jesus returned with the disciples to Jerusalem, and they made their way to the temple. When they arrived at the temple, they they found the courts full of what the text describes as corrupt money changers, people who were selling sacrifices and things, and they had marked up the price incredibly Angrily, he began to overturn tables and clear the temple, saying, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. See, the church, the temple, had become a place where people were exploited, where some were kept from worshiping. It became a place of power for just a few, of reputation, of undue influence, instead of humility. Instead of serving and true worship. And you and I, we do the same. We make it about us. How will this place serve me? We shop for churches that fit our preferences, for churches that look like us. We draw lines around who's in and who's out, and we call them positions. We build worship around convenience. We want it our way. Forgive us, Lord, for we know not what we do. The very next day, Jesus would return to the temple, and there he'd be confronted by religious leaders who would try to bait and trap him to find 
any excuse to bring charge against him. He continually pointed them to what was most important. Later in the afternoon, he would leave the city with his disciples and they would go to the Mount of Olives overlooking Jerusalem. And while they were there at the Mount of Olives, Jesus shared this prophecy about the destruction of Jerusalem and the end of the age. He spoke in parables about the end times, about his second coming, about final judgment. But the disciples couldn't understand. You see, they didn't want to accept that Jesus was making a way for us that could only happen through his death, through his suffering. In fact, they tried to persuade Jesus that it could be done another way, even offering to take his place. And you and I, we do the same. We get frustrated with how God's working and the speed at which he's working. We think we know better. We don't trust We misunderstand and try to fit Jesus into our purposes. We get so caught up in our own needs and desires that we miss the bigger story that he invites us into. Forgive us, Lord, for we know not what we do. On Thursday, Jesus gathered with his disciples in the upper room where he washed their feet. They shared the Passover feast together. Later that evening, they would journey together to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus would pray in agony to his Father, knowing what was ahead the very next day. As Jesus prayed in the Garden, Luke's Gospel says that his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Later that evening, Jesus was betrayed with a kiss by one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, he was arrested by the Sanhedrin. And in the early morning hours of Friday, as Jesus would begin to stand trial, Peter denied knowing him three times before the rooster crowed. The disciples fell asleep in the garden. They didn't understand the weight of what Jesus was carrying. They fought the guards that came to arrest Jesus. And then after Jesus was arrested, for fear of their own possible pain, And suffering, they denied knowing him or being one of his disciples. And you and I, we do the same. Obsessed with comfort and avoidance of pain, we hide our faith when it's uncomfortable, afraid to offend. We want to add Jesus to our life instead of make him our life. We have fallen asleep so focused on our plans and our goals, we have missed what truly matters. We have run from God and chased after things that have promised life. Forgive us, Lord, for we know not what we do. We arrive at Friday. Jesus would spend the day Friday enduring the shame of false accusations, condemnation, mockery, beatings, and abandonment by his father and by those that he loved. He was sentenced to death by crucifixion, the most horrible and disgraceful methods of capital punishment at the time. He was spit on, tormented, 
pierced with a crown of thorns and forced to carry his own cross to Calvary where he would be mocked and insulted again by soldiers as they nailed him to that cross. And you and I, we put him there. It was our sin that had to be dealt with. Every ounce of anger and condemnation and wrath that our holy and righteous God held for your sin and for my sin, it had to go somewhere. It didn't just disappear in a moment. It was poured out bit by bit and blow by blow. It was exhausted upon Christ as he hung on the cross. Forgive us, Lord, for we know not what we do. Earlier we said that the truth about the crucified Lord is the truth about ourselves. We could read these events like a distant observer, right? But it wouldn't be honest. You and I were complicit. We have sinned and continued to sin in the same sorts of ways as the people we read in the text. We treat God as a means to our end. We make it about us. We think we know better. We don't trust. We want to add Jesus to our life instead of make him our life. But the words of Jesus are incredibly good news to us. On the worst day of his life, he is crying out on your behalf, pleading for the Father to forgive us even before we understood our need for it. And as Christ hung there bearing the full weight of our sin on the cross, something was finished. And a new thing was just beginning. That moment in time changed everything for you and I. And that is why we must accompany him to his end. It's where we discover that what we could not do in our self-effort and our discipline and our trying hard was done for us. We must accompany him to his end because it's where we discover that God poured out and exhausted every bit of his anger and his wrath for your sin and for my sin on Christ so that all that remains when he looks at you is love because it is all that is left. We accompany him to his end because it's where we discover that we are completely forgiven, that our debt has been paid. Amen? In our Litton Experience Guide this year, there's a number of different activities. Uh, and one of them that, that was uh, slated for today is a practice called Visio Divina. As I was thinking about a way to kind of bring this morning to a close, I, I thought this could be a, a good way to do it. Um, and so Visio Divina, it's this thoughtful way of contemplating a visual prompt. Something like a piece of art or a photograph or an image and just inviting God to speak to you through it. And so I wanted to take a few moments together to just reflect on this image. As you look at the image, what are some details that you notice?
What thoughts do those details draw out in you? Focus your attention away from just the details to the image as a whole. What sort of thoughts, questions, and emotions are stirred inside you? As you continue to look at that image, you and I were the soldiers and the mocking crowd, the ones too busy to even know what was happening at Golgotha that day. Our sin was the nails that pierced his wrists and feet. Our lives swung the hammer. But then, in his final moments, we heard a groan and a gasp that marked our new beginning. He pressed down against his feet. He flexed his elbows pulling from the shoulders. His hands painfully twisted on the nails where he hung. As he lifted his body for just a breath, he expended all of his energy and cried out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Let's stand together.